All right, we are getting into part three of our series, There is a King. Say, There is a King. Um, and naturally, talking about there is a king and King Jesus and being Christmas time, we find ourselves in the Christmas story. And a bit of a lead in into that to make sense of a bit of what we're going to chat about today is that there was a time in Israel's history, we can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 8, where Israel cried out to God because they wanted him to appoint an earthly king over them. They became fed up with God being uh, their leader, um, their guide leading them through prophets and judges and all that sort of thing. And they decided they had enough and they cried out and they wanted an earthly king to be appointed over them. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 12, it says, But when you were afraid of Nahash, the king of Ammon, you came to me and said that you wanted a king to reign over you. Get this, even though the Lord your God was already your king. All right, here is the king you've chosen. You asked for him and the Lord has granted your request. It's interesting because they desperately wanted a king, but they didn't realize they already had one. They wanted to be led and at the same time, they turned their back on God's leadership. They wanted to elevate man's capabilities above God's capabilities. And so this guy named Saul, he is anointed and appointed as the very first king of Israel. And he's the first in a long line of kings that would lead over Israel and Judah. But it turns out these kings were not all they were cracked out to be. Most of them rebelled against God and led God's people into disobedience. Amen. We also read that uh, they were often at war with overthrown by and exiled under the strong arm of foreign kings. And so the Israelites were being led by God, but what happened is they started to look around at their neighbors and they started to feel like, well, we know what we've got and we know what they've got. And they felt like they were missing out. Perhaps they felt like they could get something from a person that they weren't getting from God. And so these earthly kings that they hoped would save them ended up being their downfall in so many ways. I mean, none of these kings could fulfill the mandate that was set before them. There were a few good ones, admittedly. One of the most famous, you might have heard of him. His name was King David. But even he was a murderer and an adulterer. Like That's the best they could come up with. And so what happened here is there's almost this tug of war going on. You could call it like a clash of kingdoms. God continually intervening, trying to save people from themselves and people continually pushing God out. It's a clash of kingdoms that has continued today. And if you think about it, is this not the tension that we see in the world as we look around? Is it not the tension that you and I find ourselves struggling with to be led by both man or woman and at the same time to be led by God? Because the truth is, as people, we like to be led. Right? We like to have guidance. We like people to show us where to go and how to do it. I know that when you join the dream team here at Elam Christian Center, we don't just chuck you in the deep end and say, good luck. It's not like I'd like to join the band. All right, you're leading worship this Sunday. Away you go, right? It's not how we do it because we realize people like to be led and showing what to do. So we buddy you up with someone who can show you the ropes before you give it a go yourself. When you're buying a house, you don't just chuck your money at a random house, but you have the right conversations. You speak to a mortgage broker, maybe a lawyer, maybe a real estate agent. Why do we do that? Because we want input from someone else that might know a little bit better. We want guidance. We want leadership. We attend marriage and parenting courses, counselors' sessions, and professional help. And all of this is great, and it makes sense, right? Because as people, we desire to be led. And the Israelites were no different. They too desired to be led, but they weren't sure on instruction from God. 
They received messages through the prophets of God at the time. They had these rich oral traditions that they heard in story form that eventually made their way onto the pages. Um, But what happened was um, this downward spiral of pride prompted them and pressed them towards believing that maybe they could find better wisdom, better guidance, better leading from a person rather than the God that made that person. And so God gave the people their earthly king. But this is all they ever were. And when you know a little bit more about how the story unfolds, you realize that actually, when you look back at it in hindsight, this was all a setup. God was setting people up so that they could have what they wanted, which was an earthly figure to follow, and they could have what they needed, a heavenly God who could forgive. And so we land ourselves right at the point where Jesus is born. And at that time, there was a ruler. There was a king over the land, and his name was King Herod. Um, And King Herod heard that Jesus was born, that this prophesied coming new king was born, and he felt like that was a threat to his rule. And so he did the most atrocious thing, and he ordered that every boy, every child, two years and under, be murdered in the hope that one of those would be Jesus, this prophesied coming king. That's messed up. Like, we can all agree, like, that is an extreme abuse of power. It's so messed up. What I want you to do is get a picture of the kinds of kings the Israelites were used to. See, King Herod was atrocious, but really, he was a lot like many of the other kings that had led God's people. They had come to believe that this is what kings were like. This is what they could expect. And so it poses the question, what were they expecting out of this newly born highly anticipated, prophesied for generations, new coming king. What were they expecting out of Jesus? And we find that Jesus turned out to be the very king that they had been hoping for. Jesus was the one that was meant to rescue them all. His coming had been prophesied for generations, and we see that from his birth, everything about the way that he came suggested that this king He wasn't going to be like the other kings. This king was going to be different from the other kings that they had experienced. I think it was probably the king they were hoping for, but in a package they weren't expecting. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love listening to the radio in the car. But I'll admit I am like a serial like station changer. Like I'm not loyal to any station. Like if you're not pleasing me with good musical bangers, I'm going to change the station. And so you got about three seconds and I'm skipping and I'm skipping and I'm skipping until I find something that I like. And it usually comes in the form of The Breeze or Classic Hits, back when music was real, you know? Um, But seriously, I love that stuff. Um, But I don't know if you do what I do when you're listening to the radio, is you naturally start to form in your mind a picture of what you think the radio presenter looks like. You can only hear them You can't see them, but you begin to develop this picture. And it's not intentional. I'm not like desperately trying to figure it out. But as I listen to them more, this image starts to develop. You know, maybe I'm thinking like, what do people with voices like this usually sound like? What assumptions can I make? And the other day I was driving along and I saw this big billboard on the side of the road. And on the billboard, it was a photo of a a bunch of radio presenters from a particular station. And under their photos was written their names. And I was driving along and I glanced up at this billboard and I was like, no. I was like, you've got it wrong. That is not what they look like. It was just outrageous. I I couldn't like connect it. I already had a picture in my mind of what the person looked like. And now that I was seeing it, I couldn't connect the voice I was hearing 
to the face that I was seeing. Oh, I refused. I was like, they've, they've got it wrong. There's no way the person looks like that. Now, obviously, I was wrong. I will admit. They obviously looked like that. But I had already conjured up this picture in my mind of what they were meant to look like. I made some assumptions. I connected the dots in my own way. And then when I saw something that was different, a reality that didn't match my picture, I wanted to discard it. Now, can you imagine the Israelites hearing that this Jesus has been born and he was this prophesied coming king? Can you imagine how confused they were when they were expecting this new king to come in royalty, but what they got was a baby in a manger? The reality of what happened didn't match the picture that they had in their mind. See, this birth of a king was not in a palace. It wasn't in a castle or a prestigious home. At this birth, there was no crown, no robe, no ring, no jewels. At this birth, there was no trumpets, no throne, no fanfare, no red carpet. There was nothing to suggest that royalty had been here today. He was the expected king that they weren't expecting. They knew a king was coming, but they didn't expect it to happen like this. Instead, what they got was a baby born in a stable among hay, animals, cow, dung, and troughs. He wasn't born to a king and queen. There were no princes and princesses around. In fact, he was born to a teenage girl. And he was visited by shepherds, sheep, and wise men. Although we'll give this one to Jesus, he did get one thing up on all the other kings. He was the only one that was announced by a choir of angels. That's pretty cool. None of us got that. So that's pretty impressive. God's ways don't make immediate sense to us, do they? In fact, God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We have our picture of how things are meant to pan out. We have our ideas of how it should be done. And then there's the way that God actually does them. And from the very beginning, this birth of Jesus, the arrival of this new coming king suggested there's no way this king was going to be like the others. In fact, it was the beginning of Jesus bringing a brand new kingdom, a different kingdom. We might call it an upside down kingdom. I mean, well, I remember when I was younger, and I know that many parents in the room, you have done this. My mum used to always whip out this line. My house, my rules. Any parents ever said that? Oh, only a few. I can't wait to whip those lines out. That and because I said so. <laughs> As a kid, I despised that. But what's the reason? Um, and I would say that when I'm a parent. Um, but my mum used to always say that. If you're living under my roof, it's my rules. Essentially, what she was saying is, if you're living in my jurisdiction, I'm the final authority. If it's my kingdom, I'm the king. I need to let you know and remind you today that there is a king. And because there is a king, there is a kingdom. But King Jesus is not like all the other leaders that we've lived under and served under before. I mean, imagine this with me, right? Go with me. Put yourself in in the story. Imagine that all you've ever known ever known out of kings and rulers and leaders is that they are oppressive and dominant, that they're tyrants and persecutors. They're commanding, demanding, and killing for the worship of their subjects. Not only that, not only are your leaders like that, but you've got these religious leaders placed over you as well. These Sadducees, the Pharisees, the chief priests and scribes. And these are all the leaders you've ever known. They're described in more detail in Matthew 23. They're labeled as hypocrites. These are the sorts of people that are described to be like this. You do what they say, but not what they do because they don't practice what they preach. They held a double standard of living. They place these expectations on people that they weren't willing to carry themselves. And they do everything to be seen in public by others. So the light that shines on them is brighter than the light that shines through them. 
They love and live for their titles. They love being called rabbi, teacher, instructor. And they strutted around on high horse, bringing condemnation to anyone who would follow them. This is what leaders were like. Now imagine if that's all you've ever known. That's what it means to look up to a king, to a leader. Imagine that's all you've ever known. And then you meet a leader and a king like Jesus. A king that flips everything upside down. When in Matthew 23, he says, the greatest among you would be your servant. That those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves before God would be lifted up in honor. It's so upside down, isn't it? And what about when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the humble and blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted and blessed are those who are insulted and persecuted. I mean, can you imagine how paradigm altering it would have been to see Jesus walk among lepers? to touch people that the culture had deemed unclean. It would have pulled the rug out from under them to see him dine with tax collectors and prostitutes and extend grace and forgiveness to adulterers and sinners. I'm telling you, he was the king that they weren't expecting. And he was bringing a kingdom that they had never known, a kingdom that would change their thinking and turn their world upside down. And it wasn't until this king got to a cross and hung on it for you and I that we saw a full picture of exactly what sort of king he was. A king that would give his life for his subjects. A king that would defeat death with love. He was crowned king at the cross. He was given a crown, lifted high, exalted high on this cross and a sign plastered over his head that said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. He was the expected king that they weren't expecting bringing a kingdom that would turn the whole world upside down. And you find that in this upside down kingdom that Jesus has established, his ways are not the ways of the world. Like someone might have said to you, you have failed, and yet he would say, your failure isn't fatal. Someone might have said to you, it's never gonna happen. And God would remind you today that delays are not denials. Maybe someone said, your mistakes have disqualified you, and yet God would say, your, your, your mistakes don't define you. Maybe someone said, you are the least, you were the lowest. And God's like, that's okay, because the last will be exalted to be first. Maybe someone has said to you, you're not good enough. And God would remind you today that his grace is all that you need. Maybe someone said, you're too far gone. He says, you can never, ever escape from my love. Like there's literally nothing you can possibly do to escape from my love. Maybe someone has said, your life is a mess. And he would say, yeah, but I can make beauty from ashes. Perhaps you would say. There is no life left here. And yet God would say, I can make dead things breathe again. It's the upside down kingdom that nobody was expecting. And here's the cool thing, because this king that I'm describing wasn't just their king, but he's my king. And he doesn't have to just be my king, but he can be your king too. See, this upside down kingdom wasn't just for then, but it was also for now. See, what the people wanted, so desperately wanted, and they cried out to God. They're like, give us a personified king. We want a person to lead us. And it was imperfect, and it didn't work out. And you get a sense that God always knew that. And He always knew that it would only work if He Himself led us. And so He gave us Jesus, personified man, glorified king, mighty God. Listen, we don't just need a king. We need a king who is God. And when we realize that we live in his kingdom, we realize that we live under a king who doesn't just know us, but he loves us. He's a king who knows us by name and calls us to a significant life. He's not like the other kings. 
There's just a little bit of audio coming through. I think it's a video. Legends, all gone. Thank you. King Jesus welcomes us into this upside down kingdom. And to be a citizen of this kingdom, to be a Christian means to be Christ-like, that we would live in a different way that would be expected, right? That our friends, our families, our work colleagues would see our life and go, oh, there's something different about them. They must serve a different king. And so here's our mandate this Christmas season, to give more than expected, to love when it's hard, and to serve when there's no reward. To give, to love, and to serve. See, this first one, give more than expected. Imagine how those around you might respond if we would go above and beyond with our generosity. And I'm not just talking about with our finance, but perhaps with your expertise, your listening ear, your time, your advice. I wonder if this Christmas we could give more than expected, that we might shout someone a coffee. Perhaps that's a big step for you. Go for it. Back yourself. Give more than expected. Maybe you want to buy or make a gift from someone, for someone that you usually wouldn't. Maybe offer to help with the Christmas meal. And I'm not talking about eating it, because <laughs> that's usually the way I help, uh, offer to help. Um, maybe get in the kitchen. Let's be generous with our time. Let's surprise people with our generosity and be kingdom, uh, citizens of this upside-down kingdom. I love 2 Corinthians 9.13. It says, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing them with them and everyone else. It's like there's an obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. So you say, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm dedicating myself to loving God and loving people. And with that confession comes the need for obedience. If I'm gonna be that person, then I need to be obedient in alignment with that call and that confession. And what that obedience means is to be generous to those around us. And the cool thing is that as we do that, we declare, we make a confession, we're obedient in the way that we're generous. Other people praise God. Christmas box was so amazing. And can I tell you, one of the greatest joys was for our team to call people to let them know that they were going to be the recipient of a Christmas box. Thank you so much to everyone who nominated someone. Can I tell you, those phone calls are the best phone calls. Because as you're explaining to someone, hey, there's someone that's been thinking about you. There's someone that cares about you. They're praying for you. And in fact, we've nominated you to receive this Christmas box of goodies. And it's not just the essentials, but there's treats in there too. Man, can I tell you, you could hear the hope in their voice. As they were blown away by that generosity, you could hear the hope, you could hear the joy. It almost sounded like praise. And as we stood on East Street, we packed 1,250 boxes, then we bought 102 of them out here to Papakura. We set up a station. I know some of you helped with that. People came to pick up, and maybe you're in the room today because you received one of those boxes. We've been praying for you for a long time. And if that's you, we're so glad that you're here. But as we gave those boxes the joy and the hope in people's faces. And as we carried the boxes to their car and loaded up their vehicle, they were just blown away, saying, God bless you. And I was like, God bless you. What an amazing opportunity that people in that moment, because of our generosity, were focused on the God who made them. Some of them praising God for provision, a God that they had never known before. And so I wonder if this Christmas season, we could live unexpected to give more than expected. Second thing is this, love when it's hard. Imagine how those around us might respond if we took time to see those that the rest of the world ignored. That we could turn our back towards those that others turned their back on. That when people look at the church and they go, oh, the church, 
They're going to shun those people, and we surprise them by loving those people. I don't know what the perspective is of every unchurched person, but I know that sometimes they think that we can be judgmental. Let's surprise them with kindness this Christmas, choosing to love people even when it's hard. I think of a scenario where some religious leaders brought a woman to Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. Like she'd messed up big time. And they're trying to catch Jesus out and they're dead set on this woman being punished by being stoned to death. And and rather than Jesus meeting them with condemnation because he is the king of an upside down kingdom, what he does is he extends grace instead. Man, this is not what they were expecting. So rather than saying, yep, stone her to death, he says, wait, I've got a different way. And he forgives her. And he says, your slate is wiped clean. You've got a fresh start. Now go and sin no more. He was the king that responded in a way that nobody was expecting. Could we be like that? Could we be like Jesus this Christmas, choosing to let grace and love be our motivator? Maybe it's including a family member in your Christmas Day celebrations that you're still a little bit offended at. You know what I'm talking about. Like, oh, it'd just be easier not to have them. But maybe this Christmas we could be like Jesus. And so I'm just going to extend out an olive branch. I'm at least going to put the invite out there. I'm going to start the process of building the bridge and mending the relationship. I'm not going to let unforgiveness get in the way of unity in my family. Look, this might not happen overnight. It might not happen at first invitation. But maybe we could live like Jesus and love when it's hard. Maybe we could include someone in our world that it seems like other people don't have time for. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be led by a person. Human leadership is great, but I want to be led by a heavenly God. And this is what Jesus did. He chose to love when it was hard, and I wonder if we could do that too. Third thing is this, and Ben, you guys can join me, is serve when there's no reward. Serve when there's no reward. I mean, imagine how those around us might respond if they saw a church whose motivation was the service of people, and that's it. Not title, not fame. Not position, not reward, but just the growth, the contentment, the joy, the peace, and the needs of people. People we know and people we don't. I wonder how much we might flip the perspective that the world has on Christians this year if every single person in this room dedicated ourselves saying, this year, I'm going to rise up to be the leader that God has called me to be. Understanding that leadership in an upside down kingdom is characterized not by authority, not by power, not by fame, not by status, but by serving. So God, I'm going to be a leader in my community, in my workplace, in my family, and I'm going to lead by the way that I choose to serve. Could I encourage you to not get trapped into this thinking that the serving of others earns you a reward. The Bible says that when we work, our work is worthy of a wage. You should be paid for your work, absolutely. But our motivating factor in the way we serve others should be love. That's what Jesus did. I can't get over the fact that there is a king And in all of his power, his authority, his sovereignty, he would allow me and he would allow you to come close to him without fear. That we could approach the throne room of grace with boldness. But not only that, that there is a king who would take upon himself the punishment that my sin and your sin deserved. This is unheard of. There has never been another king like this. You know, I find we can often become so focused on lowly Jesus, baby Jesus, 
born in a manger, Jesus, whipped and beaten, Jesus, persecuted and ridiculed, Jesus. But I need to remind you today that he is also King Jesus. And that makes the kingdom that he leads different because he's a king that would give up his own life for his subjects. He's a king who came not to be served, but to serve. He's a king who leads a kingdom who we could worship him not out of fear and condemnation, not out of guilt, not because we have to, because he rules it over us, but out of genuine adoration and praise, out of genuine thankfulness that he is a king that would give his life for us. It's not just that a carpenter from a small town in the Middle East went to a cross for you, but that the king of heaven would leave his home. Why? To bring you home. He would leave his throne to bring you home because he's a king that has never had more authority and yet he shows us that he couldn't have had more humility. Maximum authority and maximum humility, willing to lay it all down that he might know you. Look, he died on that cross and he lay in that tomb for three long days, but he rises again. He defeats the death, the power of death in the grave. He overcomes the power of sin. He buries shame and condemnation. He rises again to establish a kingdom that would last forever. And it's a kingdom that you are invited to be a part of. It's a kingdom that promises an eternity in heaven. Look, every king has ruled, every king has led, every king has died, but only one king rose again and his name is Jesus. He's a king who more than anything else has had one goal. It's a goal that has always been and a goal that will never change. It's to be close to you and to know you. He's a king, we talk about Jesus, the son of God, absolutely, but he's a king that carries the heart of a father. He wants to be close to you. He wants to celebrate when you in. He wants to comfort you when you hurt. He wants to heal you when you feel broken. And there's an invitation that has always been open to you. And maybe it's taken a long time to hear about this invitation, but it's the King of heaven himself looking at your life, looking at who you are, saying, I wanna know them like a friend knows a friend. And I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. The only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that one is made right with God, the other isn't, and it's nothing to do with the person's achievements. And it's everything to do with the free gift of grace that God offers. He wants to know you.